0: It is, it is awesome to have the kids in here worship. It always feels a little quiet when they leave, right? We had them in for this first service and there was some, some young girls that were up kind of in the front row and they were just worshiping. Their hands were raised and, and you know, you could just see it wasn't just, it wasn't, it was, it was real that they were connecting with the Lord. And, and, and it just reminds me that what, what takes place here with the kids is not, is not just child care, It is, it is discipleship, that they are not the church of the future, that they are the church right now, and and we are investing in them and, and helping them to know who God is and experience who God is, even in this moment. And so, um, let's give it up for all of our M-Star Kids teammates that serve with them every week, and man, we have a great, great volunteers that invest in them, and, um, and I would encourage you, we got something coming up here, and I want to, I want to just give a challenge to those of you, even if you don't serve with the the M-Star kids on a normal basis. Uh, We have our VBS coming up here. We do it a little different. It's six weeks, uh, six Wednesday nights in a row where we have... um this VBS going on. And, and if you have not signed up to serve yet, I want to encourage you to sign up to serve. There's um, We're really in need of some really good small group leaders, whether you're a teenager or young adult or you've been a follower of Christ for a really long time. We would love to, for you to partner with us during that event to help make that a possible, uh, to help us disciple not only our kids that are here as part of our campus, but uh, these kids that are going to come in, maybe neighbors, friends, uh, people dropping off their kids who are just looking for a date night, whatever reason that those kids are there, we want to invite Invest well in them. We want to disciple them well. And so if you haven't signed up, make sure you stop at the table. Right when you go out the doors, it's kind of in the middle there. Uh, Sign up for that or go on the app and sign up. But help us make this not only a great event, but a life-changing event for the students that are going to be part of of that. And so, this morning we're jumping into — back into our belief series. If you haven't been here, we've been looking at uh, some of our foundational core beliefs as Christians. We've talked about things like God — what do we believe to be true about God and who God is? What do we believe to be true about the Bible? And we talked about how the Bible has everything we need in Scripture is given to us. And, and, And it's God's divinely inspired revelation. It's everything we need to live a life that honors Him is found on the page of the Bible. The Bible answers life's two most important, greatest questions, and that is Who is God and who are we? And how do we have a relationship with the creator of the world? Last week we talked about creation and what does the Bible say about creation? What do we believe to be true about the creation of the world? And the main idea we looked at last week is that God is the creator of all. And, And the idea that we landed on was simply this, that God created everything out of nothing, that He is so powerful that He can just simply speak things into His existence, that He created everything out of nothing, that He created it all perfect. It was very, very good. And we were all created for His glory, His design. But how many of you have ever looked at the earth, maybe you've looked around at the brokenness of this world, you've looked at some of the pain in this world, and you've ever thought to yourself, it's not really that perfect. Have you ever thought that? Like, there's many times where I look at the world and I'm like, it's not perfect at all. It's far from perfect. There's many times that I look at the world and say, not only is it not good at times, but There's things that are in this world that are just downright evil. There's things in this world that are just so broken. There's pain that we see, and and there's things that are so broken in this world. And you have to ask yourself, and maybe you've asked yourself this before, why? Like, why why is the world so broken? Why are things so messed up? Maybe you've even wondered to yourself or asked the question, why would a good, all-knowing, all-powerful God, why would He allow things to happen the way that they happen? When you see all the brokenness in our world, it's easy to, to wonder why, to, to, under, and there's people who say, well, we're, we're continually evolving, we're progressing, and I would tell you when I look around at the world, maybe you don't feel this way, but when I look at the world, we may be advancing in certain ways, but if anything, we're going backwards. Like, there is more brokenness in the world than ever before. There's more hate in the world, it's more immoral, there's more confusion, it's more broken than ever. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, why is it so broken? How did this all happen? It is, and is there any hope? Is there any hope in the brokenness that we see? What is the hope in all of that? And those are the questions that I want us to explore today. Uh, but before we look at that, I want to look back at where we left off last week. Because when we left off last week, everything was perfect. Genesis 1.31, God looked over all that He had made and He saw that it was very good. He looked at His creation and He said, I did a great job. In Genesis chapter 2, we see this. We see God created man. It said, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man that he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A few verses later, verse 15, it says this, The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend to it and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him and said, You may freely eat from every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat its fruit, you will die. So here's what we see taking place. God creates this perfect world. He creates this perfect life. He creates this perfect paradise called Eden, perfect garden. He puts Adam in the garden and he says, listen, I want you to, to rule over this. This is your domain, this is your home, this is your place to live and to experience. He gave him all the food he needed, gave him this perfect paradise, beautiful trees, beautiful fruit to eat, everything was perfect the way he created it. He says, listen, there's only one tree that you're not allowed to eat. You can eat from all of these trees. You can enjoy all of this creation that I've given you, except for there's just one tree. One tree, and he, and he gives him a really good reason. It's not like don't eat from this tree, it's the best fruit, but I gave you all the right He says, no, if you eat from this one, you're going to actually die. You're going to, you're going to end your life. It's not good. Don't eat from that one. You can enjoy everything else except for that one. I heard somebody explain it like this, and I thought it was, was very interesting. He said, if you're a parent, right, there's been times where, where you go grocery shopping. If you have a lot of kids, you go grocery shopping like multiple times a week. But just imagine you stocked up your refrigerator and the cupboards with all of the, the best snacks that your kids like. You got them, you know, the frozen pizzas, and you got lunch meat and cheese for sandwiches, and fruits and vegetables, everything they need. And then you got the cupboard with all the snacks, right? And how many of you remember growing up, I don't know if yours was like this, but, but my parents, we didn't have a lot of money, so we had like the knockoff brand of everything. So, people would go, I go to my friend's house, they'd have Dr. Pepper. People come to my house, we had Dr. Thunder, you know what I'm talking about? Mountain Lightning, like all the off brands that, that weren't even, they didn't taste good, right? Just imagine you had all the good stuff. It was completely stocked, everything that you would want. And this father leaves the kids and he's like, listen, you can have any snack you want, it's all for you, all for your enjoyment. I just want one thing for you. Here's the only thing I'm telling you you can eat all that, just don't go out into the garage and don't drink the paint thinner. That's the only instruction you have. You can eat all the food, just don't go out and don't drink the paint thinner. That's not food, that will kill you. That's what God is essentially doing in this moment. Like so many times people think God is all about rules and laws. When you look at the garden, it was all grace and one rule. All grace. Enjoy it all. It's all for your enjoyment. There's just one tree that you can't eat from. There's just one. Some people go, well, why did God even put the tree there in the first place? And like, why did He even give them... That option, and the reason I think that God put the option there is because in order to have a real relationship, in order for there to be real love, choice is involved. Free will is involved. If you don't choose to love somebody, if there's not a choice there, there, there's — It's not true love if you're just forced into it, and so he's giving him a choice, and he was making the choice as obvious as possible. He's like, listen, lots of trees, everything you want, all the fruit that you want, it's all for your pleasure. There's just one that you can't have. If you eat of all those other trees, you can live a long life in the garden, you can enjoy my blessing, I'll provide everything for you, life will be great. But if you eat this one tree, you'll die. It's giving them a choice. Are you going to choose to follow God's way? Are you going to choose to trust Him? Are you going to choose to obey Him? Are you going to choose to honor Him? Or are you going to choose to try to figure out good and evil, right from wrong, on your own? And the funny thing is, that's the same choice that we constantly have to deal with in our lives. Every single day we choose, am I going to follow my way or am I going to follow God's way? Am I going to choose what He thinks is best for my life or am I going to choose what, is, what I think is best for my life? Am I going to submit to His Lordship and His leadership in my life or am I going to be the Lord of my own life and am I going to lead my own life? Every single day, at every single choice, that's the choices that we're making. Is God's way the right way or is my way the right way? So after God gives Adam these instructions, He looks at Adam and He says, it's not good for man to be alone. Like, you're created for relationships. And so he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to create some, some helpers. I'm going to create some, some people to be like friends with Adam. And so what does he do? He creates animals and he brings the animals to, to Adam and he allows Adam to name the animals and, 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 and as he's like, none of these animals are, are right fit for a, like a, for a friendship, right? There's, they are interesting creations, but it's not like that perfect fit. And so what does God do? The Bible says that God causes Adam to go into a, a deep sleep. It's like the first surgery, uses a God-type of anesthesia, knocks him right out, enough that he can take a rib out. He does some surgery, opens him up, takes a rib out. The Bible says that God forms the first woman, Eve, from the rib of Adam, wakes Adam up from his sleep, brings before him this new creation, and Adam at that point is like, that's what I'm talking about, God, right? That is so much better than all the other creations. In fact, the Bible says, he says, that is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I think I'm going to call her woe man, right? That's what he said in that moment because she was good. She was a perfect creation. The Bible says when, you, when, you, when we leave off in Genesis 2, at the end of this very chapter, the last verse, it says this in Genesis two twenty five It says, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. When you think about the garden and God's creation, It's this picture of perfection. It's a picture of of perfect creation the way that God intended. They had a perfect relationship with God, walked with God, talked with God, nothing separating them from God. A perfect relationship with creation. Everything they needed was provided for them. There was just, a per- they had, a, there was no hostility between them and the animals. Like they walked around with the lions and the bears and everything else, and there was just nothing that separated them. Everything was perfect. Adam had a perfect job. His job was to tend to the garden, to take care of God's creation, to be a good steward of what he had, to just enjoy it perfectly, and then to name the animals, and to — you know, he had responsibility, he had uh, the ability to use his creativity that God has given him because he was made in the image of his creator, right? He, he had this perfect job, and he had a perfect marriage. They just walked around naked, and there was no shame, right? There was nothing that separated, there was no insecurities, there was no, did these pants make my butt look big, or none of that stuff going on at all. I want. I saw you looking at that — there was none of that. It was just perfect the way that God created it to be. What changed? Something changed, and it all changed in chapter 3 of the Bible. We joked about this last week. We made it two chapters before we screwed everything up. Two chapters into the Bible, it was perfect. You read the first two chapters, everything is great. Chapter 3, everything gets messed up. And so let's look at Genesis chapter 3. This is a portion of Scripture that's often referred to as the fall of man or the original sin or whatever you want to call it. But this is where everything got broken. So look at Genesis 3, 1 through 5. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, there's two things that we need to point out here. The first thing is that there's a talking snake. That's important because um, that's not normal. Just in case you're wondering I don't know if you've ever been through a pet store. The animals don't talk back to you. This is not a Disney movie. Um, and uh, but, but the one thing that, that is interesting to me in that moment is I don't know if all the animals in the garden, like before, I don't know if all the animals could talk, but this wasn't weird for Eve. Like if you are in a place and an animal starts talking, how many of you are gonna be a little bit shocked about that? I would would kill it, right? Like uh, something's possessed about that animal, right? But for her, she was just like, it wasn't — she had a conversation with a talking snake. We don't know exactly what happened, but we do understand that Satan took the form or, or — or, or somehow became one with this snake in order to have a conversation with Eve. And the second thing I want you to see about this — about this is not only that, but, but how did the devil approach her? What did he do? He took what God had commanded and he completely distorted it. It, it wasn't anything what God — did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees? He, he completely distorted what God had placed as the one law. So she answers, of course we may eat from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat from. God said, you must not eat of it or even touch it. And if you do, you will die. Now I want you to see something. Now, I've never really noticed this before, but as I was studying, I noticed, what, what does she say? She said, if, you will, if we eat of the tree or even touch it, we'll die. That's not what God said. God didn't say you can't touch the tree. He said don't eat the fruit of the tree. If you eat the fruit, you will die. He didn't say anything about touching the tree. She added that. She added that and made it the law of God. And is that what we do sometimes with the religion? We see that God, things that God is playing his head, and then we make up our own rules, and we say that they're the same. We, we elevate our rules to the same level as God rules, and we hold everybody else to, the, to our rules, not just to God's rules, but to our rules and our convictions. And this is what she's doing in this moment. And honestly, I think that that might have been the kind of loophole that Satan used to kind of weave his way in there, because she did not clearly speak or understand what God's instructions were. And so maybe the serpent in that moment, I don't know, I'm just kind of maybe reading into this a little bit, so you can take this for what it is, but maybe the serpent kind of tripped her and pushed her into the tree at that moment and she touched the tree and she didn't die and the serpent looks says, look, you touched the tree and you didn't die. So maybe God was lying to you about eating the fruit as well. Right? Maybe he's holding something back from you. So this is what the Bible says. It says he said you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat from it and that you will be like God, which they were already created in the image of God to be like God. You'll be like God if you eat the fruit, knowing both good and evil. Have you seen, have you noticed from the very beginning of time, Satan's a liar, that he is a deceiver, that he's always trying to get us to doubt God's goodness. This is what he's doing in this moment, doubt God's goodness, to doubt God's love, to make us believe that there's a better way than what God says is the best way. is this how he still works? Think about the times that Satan just kind of whispers into your heart, God just doesn't want you to have any fun. That's why you're not supposed to do that. He doesn't want you to have any fun. He's trying to hold you back from living life to its fullest. He's restricting you. He's going to, you're going to miss out on everything. If you follow him and you do what he says to do, you're going to miss out. Everybody else is going to do all this fun stuff and you're going to miss out on that because you're following God. He's just holding something back from you. This is what Satan does from the very beginning because it's who he is. John 8, verse 44 says this, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and he is the father of all lies. John 10, 10 says the thief's purpose, talking about the enemy, is to steal, to kill, and destroy. Satan is a a destroyer. He is a deceiver. He wants to wreck everything that God has created to work. It's all about deceptions and all about lies and destructions. So what does he say? He says, "You, you won't die if you eat it. You're not going to die if you, if you do that. In fact, God's holding back from you. He knows that if you eat it, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be more wise. You're going to be more like God. And God is trying to rob that from you. He's trying to hold you back from that. He completely distorts what God has said is true. He's trying to, again, get Eve to doubt God's goodness, his love, his provision. And ultimately what Satan is doing here is what he still does. There's two things that Satan tries to get us to to do when it comes to temptation and, and sin and going against what God says for our lives. The first thing is this. Satan tries to get us to believe that our sin is not that bad. He constantly tries to belittle sin and make sin seem like it's not that big of a deal. So that's what we do, right? We instead of calling it sin, we say we're just a we just made a mistake. I just make lots of can, he, can we agree? There's something there's difference between a mistake and sin. And with your kids, right? There's times that they make they they spill a bowl of cereal. That's not a sin. That's being a child. And some of us as parents. We, we punish our kids for mistakes the same way that we discipline them for sin. So they don't learn the difference. And they think that it's all about being perfect and never making a mistake. And there is a difference between. But, but that's what the enemy does, right? He tries to get us to believe that it's all the same. And it's not just a sin. It's just a mistake. It, it's not... It's not a, you're not committing adultery on your spouse, you're not, you're just having an affair, right? You're not looking at pornography and you're not lusting, you're just, you're just looking at a little adult entertainment, right? He tries to belittle sin, he tries to, to minimalize sin and make sin, sin seem like not that big of a deal. But not only that, he often tries to to make this, he also tries to, to make us think that God is not that good. He he gets us to try to doubt God's goodness, to try to to think that that God is not as good as He says He is, that He's not a good God, He's not a loving God, He's not a a kind God, He doesn't really care about us, that He doesn't really want to provide for us, that His way is not better than our way. He tries to get us to doubt the goodness of God and the effects of being disobedient to God. And so what do we see happen next in verse 6? It says, the woman was convinced. She bought the lie. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Eve was convinced and she gave in to temptation. The crazy thing is the way that temptation works, it's never changed at all. It usually involves one of three things, and it talks about this in 1 John chapter 2 verse 16 where it says this, it says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, The desires of the eyes and the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but from the world. These are the three things that we see taking place. The first one, the lust of the flesh. It's the idea of instant gratification. It's the idea of that fruit looks good. It, It looks delicious. It's good for food. I need that right now. The whole garden was full of trees that had good fruit. But it was the one right in front of her that she wanted in that moment. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. It's pleasant to look at. I want that more. than This is where we get, the lust of the eyes is where we get things like coveting and, and lustful desires where we see something that somebody else has and we really want it. We, je- we get jealous of what they have, we get jealous of how God has provided for them. We get jealous of their marriage because our marriage is not as good as theirs. We get jealous of their spouse because we think they're more, tra- whatever it is, like we have all of these, these things, it's that lust of, lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life, she says, it's going to make me wise. It's going to make me smarter. It's going to make me better. It's going to, it's going to make me closer to God. It's, it's trying to, to be who God has created you to be outside of His way of doing it. And think about at the, at the root of most of our sin, it's the sin of pride. I can do a better job than God does. I can do it better in my own strength, in my own power than God's way. The crazy thing is this is the same way that Satan has continued to work. Even in the, in, in, in the temptation of Jesus, when you read about it in Matthew chapter four, if you read about that temptation. The same ways that he tried to attack, that he attacked Adam and Eve is the same way that he tried to tempt Jesus. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life. The only difference is is that in the garden, Adam and Eve, they fell for the lie, they fell for the deception, they gave in to temptation and they brought sin. In the wilderness, Jesus knew God's word and every time Satan tried to bring a lie, he quoted God's word to fight against the temptation of the enemy and he overcame the temptation. But the tricks were the same, and it's the same way that Satan continues to work. It's the same way that he continues to try to attack us. Other thing I want you to see about verse 6 is really, really important. A lot of times what people do is we focus on, on Eve. Well, she ate the apple first, right? Like, we focus on Eve, but did you notice what it said? He said that Adam was right there with her. Adam wasn't off somewhere else in the garden, and he came back, and Eve had eaten. No, he was right there with her. Why? Because sin takes on two forms. Sin is is both the sins of commission and the sins of omission. So with Eve, we see the sin of com- commission. Sin, the sin of commission is when we do something that God says we shouldn't do. When we, when we disobey a command that He has given us. When we just don't do what He tells us to do. But the sin of omission is when we don't do what He does tell us to do. Right? It's, it, it's it's being disobedient to what he tells us to do. And both of them are at play there. The sin, so we see Eve, she's deceived and she commits an act. But Adam is right there and he knows the command. In fact, if you notice when you read the story, Eve wasn't even created when God gave the command. God gave the command to Adam. It was his responsibility to lead his wife well, to protect her. And he sits there as, as Eve is being deceived. And instead of stopping and stepping in and, and telling the truth, and instead of stopping all, all from happening, he just sits there like a coward and allows Eve to break God's rule. And then he jumps in as well, he does the same thing. Sin is often like that, right? And it's this moment in history that has had a ripple effect and impacted every single one of us. You want to know why the world is so broken? Do you want to know why things are so broken, that why the world is not how it was created to be, why, why it's broken, creation is broken, people is where there's pain and suffering, everything else, it all comes back to this one moment. This one moment, this one choice had a ripple effect on everything else. How many of you understand that there are consequences to the decisions we make? Both good and bad consequences. There's consequences to every decision we make. And so over these next few verses of chapter 3, God begins to lay out the consequences because of the choice that they had made in that moment to rebel against God, to sin against God, to disobey God. He points out some consequences. So I want to read these verses, and then we're going to talk about a few of these consequences that they had to face and that we continue to have to face because of sin. So Genesis 3, 7 through 19 says this. It says, at that moment... Their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sowed fig leaves to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called out to the man and said, Where are you? And he replied, Well, I heard you were walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Well, who told you you were naked, the Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree and the fruit of whose I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman that you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. And the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And she said, the serpent deceived me, that's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all of the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as you, as long as you live. And I will bring hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike, so I'm going to stop for a second. That verse right there is, is maybe the first prophecy in Scripture. It, it, God is speaking prophetically to a future event that is going to take place. He's talking about the offspring of the snake and the offspring of the woman, and what he's talking about is he's talking about the the, the Savior, Jesus Christ, who is eventually going to come. And he says that there will be hostility between Satan and Jesus, and that the the snake, the serpent, will strike his heel, but that ultimately he will crush his head. And what is it talking about? Is it's talking about the cross. He says, in that moment, he's saying, you're going to strike his heel. You're going to think, the snake, you're going to think that you, that you made a fatal blow to Jesus. You're going to think that you had won in that moment because he's going to die on the cross. But what you don't know is that his death is actually your death. That his death is is just to be, he's going to overcome death. And that, and that, what you thought was a a fatal blow to him is actually going to be a fatal blow to you. He's going to crush your head. It's beautiful. I mean, what is prophetic there in that moment? He says, listen, you got something to look forward to. This is what's going to take place in the future, it's a beautiful, beautiful verse. Verse 16 says, then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband but he will rule over you. To the man he said, since you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All of your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, even though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. I want to point out quickly five consequences that we see coming into the world that the very first man and woman had to deal with, that all of us have to deal with because of sin. So if you're taking notes, the first one is this. Sin separates us from God. Adam and Eve went from walking with God, talking with God, enjoying a perfect relationship with God, to hiding from God. They went from walking around naked and unashamed, not a care in the world, to trying to cover themselves up because of the shame that they felt, the overwhelming shame and disconnect they felt from God because of their, of their sin. Satan told them that their eyes were going to be be open, do you remember that? Because Satan is always about half true, he said your eyes are going to be open, and it's exactly what happened. Their eyes were open. They didn't like what they saw. It wasn't leading them to wisdom. It made their eyes were open to their brokenness, their shame, the way that they had let down God, the way that their sin had broken them. Their eyes were open to I them. Mean, have you ever noticed how with temptation and with sin? That's that when it comes to temptation and when it comes to sin, that Satan often over promises, but that sin all, always underdelivers. delivers. That you can, you can give in to something, and you can do something, and it may feel good for that moment, and sin might be pleasurable for a time, but ultimately it leads to destruction, and so it overpromises; it tells you it it's going to give you what, what you need and what you're looking for, but ultimately when you do it you just feel the brokenness, the shame, and that's where they're at in this moment. Their eyes were open, but all it revealed to them was just how broken and sinful that they were. So Adam and Eve do what we often do when it comes to our sin, they just try to cover themselves. They tried to cover up the sin, they tried to hide from God, they tried to pretend like it never happened at all. They, they make some fig leaves to hide their nakedness, and then God shows up in the cool of the evening. And they hear Him walking. And instead of running to Him, to have a relationship with Him like they always did, they hide. And God shows up and He says, where are you? Can I just be honest with you? God knows everything. He's the absolute worst person to play hide and seek with. Worst person. If you have kids, you've experienced this, right? When your kids are young, they're not good at it. Like, where are you? And they're just sitting in the corner with a blanket over their head, right? And you have to pretend like you don't see them because, you know, it's not a fun game when when you can see it. Like, this is what God's doing in this moment. Where are you, Adam? He already knew what happened. And Adam shows up and is like, we were hiding from you because we're naked. That's embarrassing, right? We don't have any clothes to wear. We were hiding from you. And God says, well, who told you you were naked? Who told you that this happened? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? What do you see God doing in this moment? He's given them an opportunity to come clean. He's given them an opportunity to repent. He's given them an opportunity to be honest about their brokenness, to be honest about their mistakes, to, to admit their sinfulness. But what do they do? They they're not open about it. They make excuses, they blame. Is that what we often do when we sin as well? Well, you don't know my upbringing. You don't know how, my, how bad of a mom I had. You don't know how bad of a dad I had. You don't know about what I've been through. You don't know what's been done to me and why I live my life this way and why I make these choices. We often make excuses the same way. We blame everybody else. And so that's exactly what we see happening. What happened? Why did this all happen? Why did you do this? What does Adam say? He's like, what was the woman that you gave me, God? Can you imagine that for a moment? He doesn't just blame the woman. He blames God as well. This is like, listen, God. Everything was good with us. When it was just me and you and creation, I got all the trees, you'll notice I didn't sin then, I didn't break the rules then, I was just living life, enjoying life, me and the animals, and then you made this woman, and I liked her at first, she was naked, that part of it was awesome, but, but then, but then she, she has some fatal flaws, like she made a wrong decision, it's kind of her fault, so maybe if you just go back in time and you recreate her, make Eve 2.0, one that's not as sinful, she can still be naked, that part was great, but just don't make her as sinful as before. And if anything, God, it's not just her fault, it's your fault, right? Because you created her. So it's your fault that everything has been broken. That's what he does in this moment. And God looks at Eve and says, you have anything to say? And she's like, the devil made me do it, right? Have your kids ever do that? How many of you have kids, right? Every time they do something, it's always other kid's fault. You ever notice that? What happened? Well, they hit me first. They said this first. Why'd you say I hate you? Well, they say it to me all the time. It's always somebody else's fault. Th- some things have never changed, Right? The blaming and the excuses have never changed in our history. It's the same thing we do. And here's the thing that we see though. That that sin in that moment brought, brought hostility between them and God. That sin in that moment brought a wall of divide between them and God. It brought separation. It broke the relationship that they were created to have. It, it fractured everything. And the same thing still happens in our lives today. That sin separates us from God. It keeps us from having that relationship that He desires us to have with Him. Especially sin that we refuse to get right. Especially sin that we try to heal. Like God cannot heal in our lives what we choose to continue to hide. He can't heal what we refuse to reveal. We have to bring it into the open so we can experience His healing in it. But it's broken that relationship between us and God. The second thing is not only did it bring separation between us and God, sin brings conflict to all of our relationships. Sin is a way of just destroying and breaking relationships, whether it's friendships and there's uh, a stabbing in the back. Have you ever had some friend that you told something in confidence, and then they, they told everybody else? Sin has a way of breaking relationships. Every conflict that we see on this earth is, is the direct result of sin and selfishness. Have you ever notice that at the root of every sin that you struggle with is selfishness? Every single sin. It's always about selfishness. It's about, well, I want this, and I, you weren't doing this for me, and it's all about my wants and my desires. It's all the root of every single sin in our lives, and sin has a way of destroying and breaking relationships. And we see this in regards to Adam and even verse sixteen. God says, "You're going to desire to control your husband, but he's going to rule over you." You understand that before sin, their marriage was perfect. It wasn't a, it wasn't a power struggle. They loved each other, they served each other, they did life together, there was no, uh, nothing breaking their intimacy, there was nothing getting in the way of any of that. It was perfect. He says now because of sin there's going to be a power struggle in your marriage. You're going to desire to to be in charge but he's going to be in charge over you, right? Like there's going to be this constant power struggle from the moment of this, of this sin. When it was created to be submitting to one another out of love and serving one another and and taking care of each other, and that's the the point of marriage, he said this is what's going to happen and be the result of sin. Can you imagine for just a second some of the hurt and some of the resentment that Eve felt towards Adam as he threw her under the bus right away? Just imagine that for a second. Can you imagine some of the hurts that she had built up when she thinks back to that time and thinks back to that memory? Ladies don't forget anything, right? Can you imagine a little bit later on their marriage, they're sitting together, and, and Adam looks over, and he's like, hey, what are we doing for dinner tonight, honey? And he, she's like, well, I don't know. Last time I tried to do something for dinner, I destroyed the whole world. Remember, that's what you told God, right? Like, that's, maybe you should make dinner. Can you imagine? that? I mean, because, I mean, that's how it happens in our house sometimes, right? Like, this is what it is. We know how to hold things over each other. And here's Adam in this moment, and God shows up, and instead of taking responsibility for the fact that he did not lead her well, and he did not stop her, He just throws her under the bus. You don't think that brought some tension? You don't think that ruined the honeymoon phase of their marriage? You don't think that had any kind of effect in their marriage? Why? Sin, sin brings conflict and brokenness. Hurts all of our relationships. The third consequence we see is that sin brings pain and suffering into our lives. Every bit of pain and suffering that we experience in this life is a direct result of sin. And it's not always just our own sin. There are times when our sins and our choices bring bad consequences into our life. But the truth is, sin in general is what brought pain and suffering into this world. These verses specifically mention that there was going to be pain in childbirth, that there was going to be pain in work, because you're going to work hard, you're going to sweat, there's going to be thorns and thistles, right? You're, it's not going to be easy. Before, they just could kind of walk up to any tree and eat whatever they wanted. Now you're going to have to work hard for your food. We don't know if childbirth was easy before this time, but he says now childbirth is going to be very painful and very difficult. And listen, I don't have firsthand experience, but I have four children and I've been there for the birth of all four of them. And I can tell you this, uh, it doesn't look fun. Doesn't, I mean, it's a war zone, right? Like it does not look fun at all. And in fact, I'm, I've determined, and this is just maybe true for me, but if men were the ones that had to have babies, every family would just have a single child right? We're not doing that again. That, that was not, that was too much work. That was very painful. I'm guaranteeing you, I would have been like, one's enough. We're just going to cherish this one, right? And all this pain and suffering entered the picture because of disobedience. It broke everything. But listen, it's not just those two areas. It's had a ripple effect in everything in life. All life is full of pain and suffering and sorrow because of sin. Sickness. You ever think about all the different sicknesses we have in our world? None of that was around before sin. All the sickness, the disease, the brokenness, direct result of sin. Every war and murder, directly a result of sin. Domestic violence, abuse, racism, the root of all of it is sin. I remember... Uh, uh, There's a a guy, one of my friends, who was a young believer, and we were in a small group together, and I can remember him telling me one time, he's like, you know, and this is early in his walk with the Lord, and he's like, I just feel like if I just do the right thing, and I just follow God, and I try to make the right decisions, that God is just going to make everything else come together in my life, and I'm never going to go through anything good as long as I'm doing the right thing. And I was like, that's just not in the Bible, unfortunately. Because the truth is, you can do good things, and God can bless you, but at the end of the day, we live in a broken world. And you may not be sinning, but there could be another person that decides that they're going to drink and drive. They're going to sin, they're going to get in their car, and they may be on the road at the same time that your wife and kids are in their car on the road. And you may not sin, your wife and kids may have not sinned by making it a choice, but they sin to make a choice, and they get into a car accident and either hurt your family or kill your family and something like that. And it had nothing to do with your sin in that moment, but it had to do with sin in general because sin brings destruction. Sin brings pain and suffering, when you look at the world you go, why does a child have cancer, why does somebody die young, all these things, all those questions are questions that we have, but the truth is the answer is very simple. Sin broke everything. Sin has destroyed everything. The fourth thing is, not only did it bring that, it also cursed the earth itself. He said the ground is cursed because, have you ever noticed that there's a lot of natural disasters and deformities in our world, that the world seems very, like nature seems very irrational at times. You can go from, like, a beautiful sunny day to, like, hail and a tornado, and you're like, what happened? Like a little mood swing going on, right? Like, it's a, it's crazy. You look at nature, and you go, why are there things like tornadoes and earthquakes and hurricanes and, and natural disasters and floods and things like this that often bring destruction and bring pain and death to many people? Why do those things happen? And it's because the, the, that sin, the curse of sin has broken nature even itself. In Romans 8 20 it says this, it says that against its will, wasn't like the earth is not a tree sinned, right? It says, Against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For all for we know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Says from the moment that sin entered the picture, the earth began to decay. Everything began to die. Everything began to be broken. Even earth itself, the creation itself has been, has been a part of, has been dealing with and suffering from the, the curse of sin. And then the last thing is that sin ultimately leads to death. You know, death was not part of the original plan. The original plan was that these two people would live forever in perfect paradise and enjoy life and enjoy God's blessing and enjoy walking around naked and, and no shame. And I was like, what's been their perfect life? Life would have been great. And sin broke everything, and it's what brought death into the picture. It says you're going to go from the dust you came, you're going to go back to that dust is what he tells Adam. Death is a result of the curse of the sin. Romans 6, 3 says, for the wages of sin is death. The penalty, the payment of sin is death. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says this, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Every single one of us is guilty. Every single one of us is, maybe Adam and Eve were the ones who brought it and started it, they were the ones who had the original sin, but all of us from that point forward have been sinners as well. Do you understand that we're born sinful? Our very nature at the root of who we are is sinful and broken. There's no such thing as good people and bad people, we're all kind of broken. Occasionally we do good things, but it's not because we're good people we're sinful. We're the very nature of our first parents who rebelled against God. Every single person from that point, point of time was born with a, a sinful creation. You know how we know that? If you have kids, you don't have to teach them how to be bad. Right? You don't have to teach them how to how to sin. You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. All that stuff comes kind of naturally. I know that when you have a child and you look at them, you're like, you're perfect. You're never going to do anything wrong. That child is going to lie to you the first chance they get. Especially if it means they can saving themselves. I guarantee you. They're, they're, not, they're not good because they're, they're broken, just like we are. They're sinful by nature, and we're sinful by choice. We're born broken, but then we continue to find new ways of sinning and rebelling against God. It's who we are. It's our very nature. The Bible says in Romans three twenty-three: for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. There's not a person in here that that doesn't fit to. We all fall short of God's standard. The thing is, sometimes what we do is, is we compare ourselves to other people that we think we're better than. To make ourselves feel better about our own sin. Right? We're like, well, I haven't murdered anybody, and I haven't cheated on my spouse, so I'm I'm not that bad. But that's not the measuring bar that we're called to use. Our measuring bar is Jesus, and he was perfect, and so all of us then fall short from that. All of us have sinned. And because of our sin, we deserve death and separation from God. And at that moment in creation, if God would have simply eliminated Adam and even got rid of them, wiped them off of the face of earth, that would have been exactly what they deserve because they chose to rebel against God. They were guilty, just as you and I are guilty. And can I tell you, if this was the end of the story, right, it, it would be a sad ending, and the Bible would be really, really short, only, you know, two and a half chapters, three chapters, it would be pretty short. But it would be the exact ending that all of us deserve. It's not the end of the story, though. And the reason we talk about this is, It's not just to make you feel bad. I hope, and and not that you leave today and go, "Well, we just kind of stink at life, and we're worthless, and we're hopeless." That's not the point of all this. Here's the thing, though: we cannot understand just how good God is until we understand just how flawed we are. It's impossible for you to truly understand the good news of the gospel and how and how amazing God's grace and His mercy is in our lives until we take the time to truly admit and understand just how broken. We are how sinful we are. And so, what do we see in this story? That even in this brokenness, and even in this moment where everything gets messed up, we see God's grace and His mercy is going to be shown. That God is going to do something for them. That is ultimately pointing to what Jesus is later going to come and do for all of us. So, I want to look at the last couple of verses in uh, Psalms, uh, Proverbs, or Genesis. Excuse me, chapter three, verse twenty-one through twenty-three. And I think. Um, I think these verses are really, really important, and if I'll be honest with you, there's many times where I read these verses and I kind of just skip through it and didn't really think about what they meant. And I hope you can see what God does here and how beautiful it is in this story of redemption and what it's pointing towards. And so let's look at Genesis 3, 21 through 23 as we close. It says, The Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. The Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take some from the tree of life and eat it? They'll live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. Two things we can see in just those verses are really important. The first thing is this, God covers their shame. Right, what happened after they sinned? They tried to cover themselves with leaves. They tried to cover their sins and hide from God in a very inadequate way. And so what does God do in this moment? He he performs the first animal sacrifice. He kills a innocent animal that has not sinned and he makes clothing out of that animal skins to, to replace their covering that they had put. Ultimately pointing to the system that was going to be in place throughout the Old Testament, which would ultimately be replaced by Jesus becoming the perfect sacrifice and providing the perfect covering for our sins. But, G, but God in this moment, he covers them in a better way. And I think about that sometimes, is that when it comes to getting right with God, we, we, either, we ha- either have the law of the fig leaves, religion of the fig leaves, right? We try to clean ourselves up, we try to make ourselves worthy, we try to get ourselves to God based on our own good works, that's what that looks like, that's law. Or we can accept what God has done for us. They can accept His covering, and in this moment He takes what they had done to cover themselves and He replaces it with a better covering, a sacrificial covering. Without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sins. Ultimately painting a picture of what Jesus was going to eventually come to fulfill and do perfectly. The second thing he does there is he removes them from the garden. Now, at first, I think it seems like a bad thing, right? It seems kind of like a mean decision, taking them from their home and putting them out of there. But there's a reason he did it. Because from this point forward, their eyes were open. They sinned. They understood their brokenness. They were full of shame and guilt for breaking God's commandment. They said if if they ate from the tree of life, they would live forever. They would live forever, though, in a state of brokenness. They would live forever in a state of rebellion. They would live forever in a state of shame. Can you imagine? The, just imagine. Some of you understand what it's like. Have you ever done something wrong and you felt the weight of shame and guilt and condemnation? You felt that and you felt the heaviness of that? Can you imagine living forever with no chance of forgiveness? With no chance of redemption? You just live life with the weight of that and nothing changes and you'll never die. And you just It's really kind of painting the picture of what hell is going to be like. Hell is not, we talk about hell, and we just talk about flames and fire and everything, maybe those are part of it, but what hell really is like, it's going to be the, the absence of God's goodness. The absence of God forever, separated from God's goodness, no chance of His love, no chance of redem- redemption, forever separated from Him, living full of that shame, that guilt, that condemnation. He was saving them in that moment from having to experience that, from having to experience that, and so He cast them out, not to be mean, but to save them from experiencing an entire eternity of brokenness and shame and guilt. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to close with, with communion and worship. And so, if you didn't receive communion when you came in, and you'd like to take communion, would you just raise your hand? Some of our uh, our greeting team will come around and give you uh, this. Why don't you stand with me too as well? Just keep your hand up. They're going to make sure you get that if you want to take communion. But why don't we stand together? Before we take communion, I want you to understand something. When we look at the Bible, we see that that Jesus is the greater Adam. That Jesus is the greater Adam. That Adam was the first man. Jesus was the perfect man. That he lived a perfect life. And when you think about the garden, you can see so many things about that that relate to who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And so, I want you to think about some of these things in the garden. Adam chased after his will and his desires. He chose to be disobedient to the will of God, and he gave in to sin and temptation. When you read about Jesus the night before he was crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, he submitted himself to the will of the Father in obedience, choosing to lay down his life in our place for our sins. Adam ate from a tree, and that tree brought sin and death and destruction to mankind. Jesus died on a tree, and that tree brought forgiveness and reconciliation between God and man. When Adam sinned, the Bible says that, that suffering, pain, torture, thorns even came into existence because of Adam's sin. The world and everything else was broken. When Jesus died, the Bible says He wore a crown of thorns, and He died taking our shame in our place on the cross. He reversed the curse. The cross is the reverse of the curse. The cross is where we see God's grace poured out, His mercy. The cross is where we see His, His hatred towards sin poured out as well. The punishment of sin poured out on Jesus in our place. So we look at that verse in Romans chapter 5. We read verse 12 where it says that Adam sinned and sin brought death. But if you keep reading in Romans chapter 5, this is what it says, verse 15 through 17. It says, there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect Adam. He's the better Adam. One man's sin brought death and curse to all of us. One man came and lived a perfect life. And he died a brutal death, not because he deserved it, but because we deserved it. So when we take communion, we remember Jesus' sacrifice in our place. So as we get ready to take the bread this morning, the Bible says that His body was beaten for us. When you look at the cross and you look at the pain and you look at the torture and you look at the suffering, we should not minimize our sin and make no big deal about it. Because when we look at the cross, we see God's hatred towards sin poured out on Jesus. Do you understand? The Bible says that He became your sin so that you could be made right with God every sin that you've ever committed Jesus became that sin for you he took the punishment in the place for you he never sinned but he became the punishment for that sin for you the Bible says that his body was beaten and broken so that you and I could be made whole and healed it's by his stripes that you're healed not just healed physically There's things in life that because of the curse of sin there's people who get healed, there's people who get better, and then there's people who get sick and don't recover. But ultimately, the healing that we talk about, the healing that we need, is not just a, a physical healing on this earth. We need spiritual healing. There's people who, whose bodies are great, whose bodies are healed, but they never know Jesus, and then they spend eternity separated from Him. The, the healing that He's talking about that we need, that we need most, is not just a, an intermediate, a, 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 a temporary healing of our bodies, because ultimately, even if our bodies are healed, we eventually will die. The healing we need most is the spiritual healing. And the only way that we can be healed is by Jesus' sacrifice in our place. And so when we take this today, we remember His sacrifice. I want you to think about your sins. Maybe the sin that you struggle with right now. Maybe the sin that you did last night. Understand that He died in your place to pay for that sin. Would you take this together with me today? Now that we, we take the, the grape juice and we remember His blood being poured out He said, this this represents a new covenant poured out in his blood. The Old Testament says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sins. So in the Old Testament, that was the system of sacrificial offerings that would provide temporary forgiveness, but never actually made people whole, never brought back that reconciliation between them and God. So the Bible says that Jesus became not only our high priest, but he became the perfect lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice in our place, that his blood was shed to offer up a new covenant that no longer are you made right with God based on your righteous works. If it was based on your righteous works, none of us would go to heaven. You understand that? Because even in our best, the Bible says that even our best actions are like filthy rags. Have you ever noticed that in your life? You do good things and then you realize that your motives were wrong. Have you ever noticed that? You do something good and you're like, well, my, 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 my motives behind doing it were not right. I did it to be noticed. I did it to get praise of somebody else. Whatever it is, like, even the best that we have to offer is not good enough. So Jesus did for us what we can never do for ourselves. He brought a better way. And when we stand before God, we don't stand before Him based on our resume of our righteousness and all the good things we've done. When we stand before God, when we put our faith in God, when we trust in the blood of Jesus, when we stand before God, we don't stand there based on our resume. We stand there and the only resume that we show is Jesus's resume in our place. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus to save me. I can never save myself. So we drink this today, we remember His sacrifice, His blood being poured out, and the new covenant that we have because of Him. Would you take this today? If you're here today and you do not yet know Jesus, maybe you've grown up in a religious home and you've gone through the motions and everything else, but you don't truly know Jesus. You walk and still live as a slave to sin. You walk and live as the Lord of your own life. I encourage you today to surrender your life to Him. There's not a, a, a magic prayer you pray. It's a decision you make in this moment and a decision you continue to make every single day of your life to surrender your life to Him and to live your life for His glory and His purpose. The Bible says when you give your life to Christ that you are a new creation, that you are no longer a slave to that same sin anymore, that you never have to go back into that prison again, that, 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 that what He did on the cross, He did for you. What He accomplished on the cross, He accomplished for you. So we're going to close in worship today, and if you know Jesus, I want you to worship Him like you know Him. Worship Him like He said. You worship Him knowing that He paid the price for you, that He is a good God, a loving God, that what He has for your life, what He wants for your life, is nothing but good, that He is not a restrictive God, He's not an unloving God. He loves you and has good plans for you, good desires for your life. So Father, today, we thank You for Your goodness, God. God, we thank You for Your redemption, that even though we look at at Genesis chapter 3, and we understand how broken the world is and why it's all broken, we, we still see redemption even in chapter 3. God, we still see your grace and your mercy, unmerited favor poured out. God, your word says that you are not slow in keeping your promises, but you are patient with us, not wanting any or desiring any to perish. God, Your desire for us is that all of us would come to know you, and not just know about you, but know you in a saving way, God. So I pray for every single person here today that they would be confident without a shadow of a doubt that they are yours, that they are your children, that they know you, they follow you, and they live for you. We give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name.